Good morning, and it's so wonderful to see everyone here today, happy and smiling. We believe by faith that the weather will actually get warmer. I saw my uh, car said 29 degrees today on March 7th. But we know what happens this month, right? Spring and we get, we get, well, actually, just a reminder, Easter comes pretty early, the first weekend in April, right? So we got that coming up, our Good Friday service, uh, which will be happening as well. Uh, but we'll have more information on that later. If you didn't get a bulletin when you came in, they are at the back table. Uh, if you didn't get one last week or this week, you can certainly pick them up on your way out for the events that are taking place in March. And with that, what I'd like to do is take a few moments this morning as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, because it is Communion Sunday. We missed out last week, uh, last month, because the first week of the month was a snowstorm, if you remember. And, uh, or I think it was snow and ice, something, I can't even remember anymore. Something happened, it was snowing in the morning. Uh, but here we are this morning, and we're going to be getting into our new series of studies, which will take us through the year and into next year. Uh, it's a study in the book of Acts, so you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And what I'd like to do is spend a little time, before we get into just the introduction, and I would like to talk to you a little bit about the author of this book, why the book was written, when it was written, what it talks about, the organization of the book as a, as a way of a background to sort of set ourselves up uh, for an understanding of what the Holy Spirit would speak to his church today in 2021 about. But before we do that, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we're grateful for all that you do in and through our lives. We're grateful for our fellowship, our health, uh, the blessing that you bestowed upon us, Lord, to be able to be together uh, in this church, in this sanctuary. We thank you for all of our children who are being ministered to now during this time of service. And uh, we pray that you'd be with them and bless them as well. We continue to remember all of those who haven't been able to join us uh, over the last year. We're coming up on a year now since uh, things sort of happened with COVID. And there are still a number of our especially elderly people who have uh, not been able to join us. And we think of them as they listen from home. We pray for them. We think of their names and their faces, uh, that we, we know them so well, but we miss them, Lord. And uh, we also ask for any of those in our families who are sick or dealing with uh, recovering from the virus or any other sickness or illness, uh, that you'd be with them and bless them. Uh, pour out your healing power upon them. Encourage them and fill them with your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been here, you know that it's my custom when we start a new series of studies, I, I like to do the, the background up front for two reasons. For one, it's really helpful to understanding the book. Uh, secondly, it's really great to have this recorded because as we go through the book and people sort of have questions about the book, they can go back to the very first study in the series and get probably more information that they'll, than they'll ever need about the book of Acts unless they're playing Bible trivia. But with that, this theme of this book is the Church of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, when I asked Danielle to put together a graphic for our website, uh, we do a graphic for each of the series of studies, and uh, we were just finishing Psalms, and she did a wonderful graphic, and it shows a, like, sort of an old, dilapidated church. It's very, very pretty picture. It's, it's actually a very uh, nice banner. But as I looked at it, I thought to myself, you know, 
It's kind of telling because I think in the world today, the world sees the church as something old and antiquated and sort of worn out and not really necessary anymore. And sadly, I think a lot, a lot of the church today in America can be described as, as sort of a, a, a dead historical church, something that had life in the past but doesn't anymore. And the sad thing about that is th- that's kind of true throughout our culture. It's become pervasive in many ways. And yet we want to see the church come to life, not only in our culture, but throughout the world. And I believe that, not that there are secrets, but the answers to, to how do we see the church become a powerful influence in the world again, in our country and in our culture, I think the answer to that is in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is all about the church of Jesus Christ. Specifically, the history of the church, the early history of the church, maybe 30 years or so, where you, where you learn how did God's spirit move among the believers when this thing just got started. Now, the book was written by Luke. who was a Gentile convert, a missionary, and a close friend to Paul the Apostle. He was a physician, and he traveled with Paul, and he attended to Paul's many medical needs. Paul had a lot of issues, a lot of it stemming from the fact that he was mistreated and injured many times uh, and imprisoned and abused as he talks about in 2 Corinthians, many times by those that rejected the gospel. But Luke traveled with Paul. He traveled with Paul through Macedonia, or northern uh, Greece, until they reached the city of Philippi. And he spent about seven to eight years ministering in Philippi until he rejoined Paul on his third trip there. So this was not just an author or an evangelist, as we might call him. This was someone who did missions and actually went to a city and stayed there for seven or eight years to help plant the church. He became Paul's companion after that, traveling with him to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. Of course, he's best known for writing the gospel that bears his name, the Gospel of Luke, and, of course, the Book of Acts. He, when he wrote these books, interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, the apostles, and many other eyewitnesses. He was a person... uh, much. Much like a, almost like a reporter or an investigative reporter who interviewed all of the witnesses and those that knew what had happened and then very artfully, very carefully communicated it for all generations, including us. Now, he wrote his gospel and the first half of the book of Acts, uh, verses, uh, or chapters 1 through 16, verse 9, Uh, He wrote that based largely upon the information that he had gathered, but he actually witnessed most of the second second half of the book of Acts. He was actually there, and he uses those first-person pronouns to tell us that. He may have also had access to all of the written documents within the church through his many contacts. And what I found interesting when I studied this is just how many contacts he had. Now, maybe you on your phone or your tablet, bless you, uh, have a contacts app. And in there, you keep all the people you know, have ever known, you know, your family. And, and, and many times people measure their influence by the number of followers they have, right? This is kind of the generation we live in. I found this interesting. Remember, this is the first century. Many contacts. He mentions 95 different persons in this letter from 32 different countries in 54 different cities and nine Mediterranean islands. 
That, may, that means this man really knew a lot of people and had a lot of contact with them, which is why he was able to gather so much information and present it to us accurately as a historian. He had a greater command of Greek than any other New Testament writer, and that's partially because he is the only non-Jewish author of a New Testament book. He also was responsible for more than a quarter, more than a quarter, 25% of the New Testament. Think about that for a minute. That's influential. God has used this man greatly. His writings show the extent and the accuracy of his medical knowledge, medical knowledge at that time, of course. And of course, he was a doctor, and that makes sense. Now, Luke is mentioned or referred to three times, just three times within the New Testament. He's referred to as a fellow worker by Paul to Philemon. He's referred to as a doctor and a dear friend of Paul and Barnabas to the Colossians. And he was with Paul when he wrote to Timothy in Ephesus during Paul's second imprisonment in Rome. So this man features prominently throughout the first century church, documenting all of what had taken place. Without his writings, not only the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts, we really wouldn't know how this whole thing started. It is so important to get back to our roots as a church. I think one of the very positive things that COVID did for us as, as the body of Christ is it helped us to get back to what's most important. No longer were the things of entertainment and event-based ministry so important anymore. We found ourselves and find ourselves getting back to the fundamentals of the faith, which are the study of God's word, praise and worship, serving one another, prayer, communion with God and one another. Those are the things that the early church was focused on almost exclusively. And I think as we think about how we can be more influential as a church, not just a local church, but as the body of Christ, we need to go back and look at the first century. And I think the timing is really good for us. Look at the first century. What did the Spirit lead them to do? How was it that within a few decades they had reached the known world with the gospel? There are answers to those questions which we will unpack over the next many months. Now, this book was initially called The Acts, or The Gospel of the Holy Spirit, is another name for it, or The Gospel of the Resurrection, which is the gospel in and of itself. It doesn't record any of the acts of apostles other than Peter or Paul. In fact, John's only mentioned three times, and all that's recorded of his brother James is that he was executed by Herod. So it wouldn't be right to call it the acts of the apostles. There's only really two mentioned. It's clearly not the history of the acts of the apostles. That was a a title that was given to the book much later. It could be called Acts, and it is. It could be called Acts of Apostles, or maybe some Acts of Certain Apostles, but it certainly isn't all that God did through all of the apostles in the first century. Hardly. So when we read this, this is just a taste of what God was doing in the early church. Just a taste. A little of what Peter and Paul were doing, and some of the people that worked with them. We don't even begin to get into what maybe Thomas or Matthew or others were doing at the same time. It would be wrong to think that this was all that was going on. In fact, God had sent many of those men and other women as well throughout other parts of the world. And so this is just a snapshot of how God worked, not all that God had done. And let's keep that in mind. I think that's encouraging to know. 
The presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is frequently noted throughout this book. In fact, the better title might have been The Acts of the Holy Spirit, who is mentioned nearly 60 times in the book of Acts. Now, this book was probably written in Greek sometime around the middle of the first century, so I would say between 61 and 63 A.D. And it's the fifth and the last of the historical books of the New Testament following the four Gospels. It is, as we've said, the second of a two-part work. So when we look at it today, we're going to sort of connect the Gospel of Luke to the book of Acts, because think of them as part one and part two of the same work. Uh, It traces the Gospel from the birth of Jesus all the way to the founding of the early church. So if all you had were the Gospels, or the Gospel of Luke and Acts, if all you had were those two books, you would have a pretty accurate picture of what happened from the moment that Jesus was born, even before that, with John the Baptist, all the way through the birth of the church as the Holy Spirit worked through apostles and disciples in that first century. Now, Luke may have uh, started writing this book while he was in Judea uh, during Paul's second imprisonment in Caesarea, uh, and he may have completed it while he was in Rome, but it was certainly completed, uh, we believe, around 63 A.D. Now, it records events that happened during the 30 years from around the day of Pentecost, shortly, shortly before that, to Paul's first imprisonment, a very significant period of time in the witnessing of the apostles and disciples of the gospel to the world. Very valuable information for us, and I think very interesting, uh, also very encouraging. And I really believe that the book of Acts continues till this day. That the things that God was doing then, he wants to continue to do today. But there are things that have to be in place in order for us to experience the Holy Spirit in the same way that the early church did. And we'll talk about some of those things, but Keep in mind, being submitted to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead the church. Not to lead the church asking for God to bless it, but to actually follow God's leading in the church and do the things that he's leading us to do. And I think that's where we've gotten into trouble as the body of Christ over the centuries, in sort of supplanting the Holy Spirit and choosing the things that we're going to do for God. We'll see that that's not at all what God has for us. This book does not include or record Paul's release from prison. Uh, And like the Synoptic Gospels, it doesn't record the fall of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 AD. So that's why we're able to date it around 63 AD. Surely those things would have been mentioned. How valuable is it to have history that was written at the time that the events occurred? Extremely valuable if we're going to understand what God was doing. Well, this book was written by a Gentile for the Gentiles of the Greco-Roman world. In fact, Luke addresses both his gospel and the book of Acts to a Greek man of culture and influence whose name was Theophilus. You'll see that in the introduction. He intended to provide influential men like Theophilus with the truth about Christians. Now, last week we talked, we talked a lot, but even last week, about the importance of truth. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how valuable it is to praise God and how important it is to speak the truth about God, which is what praise really is. The thing that I'm encouraged by is that this man, Luke, saw the importance of reaching influential Gentiles in the first century with the truth about Jesus and the church. 
Now, one of the things that gets in the way of our effectiveness today is that the world has a misconception about what the truth is. In fact, they believe a lie, a strong delusion. And they have a misconception about what the church is and what Christians are. And unfortunately, this is many times supported by people who, in the name of Christ, do some pretty crazy things. And ministries and pastors that besmirch the name of Christ by focusing on things other than the gospel. Are you with me? So what Luke wants to do, because in the first century there was much of this as well, there were those that slandered the Christians, and many of the Jews at that time slandered Christians. Others did as well. He wanted to set the record straight. You know what I love about that? There is just something within me, and it may be good, it may not be, that I just want to set the record straight. When I hear people saying things that aren't true, I want to stand up and with a megaphone say, that's wrong. And, you know, you really can't do that unless God has called you to do that. Now, Luke was called. Luke had been called. And he stood up, if you will, and published this two-part, 25% of the New Testament, two-part series, if you will, of a history of all that God had done and was doing, and it was all absolutely true. And by the way, all of the theories and the slander about the church has disappeared, and the truth remains. 2,000 years later, we have Luke's gospel, the other gospels as well, and the book of Acts, to look back on and say, no, that's not true. This is true. Thanks, in part, to how God used this man, Luke, but he reached out to influential men. See, I think sometimes we think we, we shouldn't try to influence influential people. Like politicians or leaders or people in Hollywood or people that, that are, are well known online. It, sometimes we think, ah, forget them, they're lost, you know. But this man understood something. Influential people can be influenced by the gospel. And so he reaches out to this man with the truth about Christians in the church. In fact, he goes out of his way to show how courteous Roman magistrates were to Paul. See, there was a lot of fake news in the first century. And so what he wants everyone to understand is like, it wasn't all bad news. It wasn't as if all Romans hated Christians or all Greeks hated Christians or all Jews hated Christians. As I've said, he goes out of his way in his writings to show how courteous Roman magistrates were to Paul, how he was treated in the courts. He takes pains to show that the Christians were and had always been good and loyal citizens. One of the things that's happening now, and and it's starting to reflect on, on, on conservatives and Christians, is that somehow, because we believe in the truth and we live for Christ, They were a danger to our society, to our culture, to to our government. And this is what Nero polled in the first century, what Hitler polled in the last century, where you sort of create a crisis and then blame it on those you don't like. I think that's very much what took place at the Capitol in January. I think what happened is that the enemies of truth decided to use something to besmirch those that were speaking the truth. Now, whether that was political truth or gospel truth, it really doesn't matter. When you're preaching the truth and it's silenced because they don't want to hear it, you have to understand, we have to understand 
that oftentimes it's because the devil has gotten hold of people. There are spiritual forces in this world for God and for evil. And we have an opportunity to speak the truth. And we are and can be loyal citizens. There is no reason why, especially in this nation, by the way, because imagine being a citizen of Rome. They could be loyal citizens to Rome and still be Christians. Now, there were times when their loyalty to Caesar and their loyalty to Christ came in conflict and they were persecuted for that. But there's no reason for anyone who's a Christian to feel that you can't be a loyal citizen of the United States of America. When the laws are in conflict with what our beliefs are, clearly we choose Christ. Amen? But this idea that somehow we are, we're out to destroy society and overthrow the government is fake news. That's not who we are as Christians. We stand for the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who God is, the, tr- the truth of God's love. And when the devil doesn't want to hear that or that, have that preached or, or that good news spread, it's very easy to silence us by saying, oh, these people... They're not good citizens. They're not loyal citizens. They're domestic terrorists. You need to understand that in the first century, that's how the enemies of Christ and the gospel tried to shut the mouths of Christians. By labeling them as those who would seek rebellion. We are not that. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that Luke goes out of his way to make it clear that Christians had always been good and loyal citizens. Now, it's been suggested that Acts, this is interesting, is actually a legal brief that was prepared by Paul's lawyers, or in in tandem with Luke, uh, as a defense in his trial before the emperor. Some have suggested that this book, the book of Acts, is actually a legal brief to be presented in court when Paul would stand before Nero, justifying that Paul had done nothing wrong. Certainly, it could be used as such, but it has so much more influence than that, and especially through the centuries. Luke is interested in Gentiles. He's equally disinterested in matters that are purely Jewish, and that's because he is a Gentile writing for Gentiles. In fact, he substitutes Greek expressions for nearly all Jewish expressions, not surprisingly, seldom appeals to the Old Testament prophecy, and desires to show that Christianity is for all men of every country, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, I'm a big fan of diversity. I am, I'm spoiled because I've always attended a church that was very diverse. We were in New York City for 17 years, and now we've been here for 17. And if you look around, uh, there's not just one skin color or one ethnic background. You have a mix. And I love that. And I, I really think that's who we can be as a church in this country, in the United States of America, who we should be. Uh, that's probably the answer to any racial problems we may have in the church is to be more ethnically, racially, social, economically diverse. And so Luke believed that and was reaching out to bring Jews and Gentiles together because at the time that he was writing, there was a Jewish church and there was a Gentile church and never the twain shall meet, you know? And the center, we'll see, the center of the Gentile church was in Syria, in Antioch, and the center of the Jewish church was Jerusalem. 
And Paul's great mission, along with men like Luke, was to bring these two groups of people who didn't necessarily get along together so that eventually it could be one church. And Luke works alongside Paul and others and Peter to bring this about. In fact, that's probably why Peter and Paul were the apostles that were featured in this book, because much of their ministry worked toward bringing the Gentile and the Jewish churches together. Okay, enough about that. Uh, Luke occasionally quotes from the Old Testament, but usually only to show that Gentiles as well as Jews can be saved. So if you're a Gentile like me, I come from a Gentile heritage, if, if, then you can see that being Jewish, it's a special relationship with God, but so is being a Gentile convert. There's no reason to feel that being Jewish makes you more special a Christian. Both are special in God's eyes. All people can come to God through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the main theme, as I've said of this book, is the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we'll be talking about, his church, his body, of which we're a part. Luke's gospel presents Jesus Christ as the Son of Man and the Savior of the world, not just of the Jews. In fact, the opening verses of Acts are uh, just an expansion and an explanation of the closing words of Luke's gospel. Acts presents a powerful, the powerful work of the gospel uh, when preached among the nations beginning at Jerusalem. It's all about reaching the world with the truth. That's what the mission of the early church was, and it's our mission today. It's a continuation of the history of the church after Christ ascended into heaven. It's a history of the planting of churches in the different places visited by certain apostles. This needs to continue to be our vision today. Throughout Acts, we see that Jesus Christ is very much alive, amen, and in complete control of his church. And when Jesus is alive, and of course he is, and in control of his church, then there is really no need for men and women to figure out what the church needs to do. We need to go back to what the Holy Spirit said and just simply do it. That's where the power will be found. We see God, the Holy Spirit, ever-present and always working in and through the lives of his apostles, and we want to see that today. Now, this book is organized specifically to effectively communicate the founding of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's designed to communicate that message. There are two main sections. We'll be going through this over the next many months uh, that document the founding of the Church of Jesus Christ, and it's important to know your history as the body of Christ. It's important to know your history. Many people have forgotten why the church exists, why God founded it to begin with, why the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, and what the mission was. We need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. We all do. The first section deals with witnesses uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch, which I've mentioned. That is, from the Jewish church to the Gentile church. And then the second half deals with witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I think we're still in that section of the book of Acts, reaching the ends of the earth. Sadly, now we're forced to come back to our own culture and reach people within our own neighborhoods and in our, in our, own, uh, at our own jobs, in our schools, in our own families with the truth of the gospel. Why is that? Because for many years now, the truth of the gospel has been neglected in our own culture. Let's hope that changes. Amen. So as we get into this book now, and uh, we begin in the section which deals with witnesses in Jerusalem, for the next 
seven chapters, that's what we're going to be talking about. What was God doing and how was God working in Jerusalem? Because that's where the message started. It's not where it ended, not by a long shot. And as Luke introduces this book to Theophilus, he records all of that needed to be said after having already presented the gospel of Luke. So I'm going to do a transition here. We're going to look at a few of the last verses of Luke as Luke transitions into the book of Acts. We know that he recorded his gospel in order to provide an orderly account of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Theophilus. And you can see that in the beginning of Luke. In fact, I'm going to do a little reflection here. Uh, In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, again, these are companion books, Uh, we see how he begins his writing when he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first uh, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I think that is a valuable endeavor. Clearly, the Spirit led Luke to write Luke's gospel. And it is a powerful testimony of what took place. When he referred to this man, he referred to him as most excellent Theophilus. By the way, in Greek, Theophilus simply means a lover of God. Theo, God. Phyllis, phileo, lover of God. And so because of that, this could be written to anyone who loves God. Do you love God? Then this book is written to you in many ways. But if this was an actual man, which I I probably guess is, he was. He was probably a high-ranking Roman official that had been taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, an influential man. Luke seems to be addressing an actual person, but it may be just a term of endearment as well. Luke may have simply used this term of endearment to address all those that love God. So if you love God, God wants to speak to you. His purpose in writing his gospel was to testify to the truth of the things that Theophilus had been taught. And I think what helps us growing up in the church or having heard the gospel preached to us, to know the truth is important. To be able to go back and look at the history of that truth And communicate how it happened is also important. History backs up truth. So the enemies of truth, they undermine history. Are you with me? They used to say that in the Soviet Union, even the past was uncertain. And what we're seeing now, as we see in our nation, in our culture, the past being written with revisionist history, it's no surprise. Undermine the history, you undermine the truth. So history, for those of you who didn't like it in high school, history is, in fact, the foundation of truth. We need to hold on to history. I'm going to tell you something. Many years ago, I was out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they had a book sale. And there were these two volumes of U.S. history. And at that that particular moment, I was studying U.S. history. I really was enjoying learning a lot. I was reading some books about it. And so I picked up these these two textbooks, if you will, like encyclopedias, And it it covered U.S. history in two volumes, uh, which they began, by the way, around the time of Columbus. I know that you're not supposed to mention him, but he did discover the New World. So it picks it up from Columbus and brought it all the way through to when these books were published, which was around the time of Herbert Hoover. 
You know, I read those books cover to cover, and it's amazing how much the past has changed. These books were written at a time where the Civil War was like 50 years, within 50 years. It was amazing that when I read the history of this nation from now what is about 100 years, and not quite 100 years ago, how things were different. How they were, have they been spun today? So in the church, it's essential that we know the history of the church to undergird the truth of the gospel. It's not just learning what happened. It's supporting and, and providing a foundation for the gospel. And that's what I think Luke provides for us more than anything else, the history of the truth, which doesn't undermine the truth, but strengthens and provides a foundation for the truth. And that's our goal. And I think this follows on our studies in the, in the book of Psalms very well, and in, the, in this time in which we live, how important it is to know our history. Now Luke, he refers to his former book when uh, he writes this new book, the book of Acts to Theophilus. And uh, he had already written to him about Jesus' life and teachings, from his birth until he ascended into heaven. And he says so. Let's get back to the book of Acts. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. I like that began to do. Because, you see, Jesus wasn't done working once the book of Acts started. Just take a moment and think about that. Began to do. The gospel is what he began to do. Most people think, oh, that's what Jesus did. No, the book of Acts is is still just the beginning of what Jesus is doing. I hope that you understand that. God is still working. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now that's the introduction, and that's all we're going to look at today. But as we look at that, let's, let's take a moment and realize this has been a mission for Luke. To go back to the beginning, uh, the birth of Jesus, and, and bring all of his readers, and especially Theophilus, to the place where you can understand that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, And he's coming again, but in the meantime, he's working in our midst. He's only begun to work at the time that Luke is writing. And I would suggest that he's only begun to work in our lives as well. So, as I said, he'd already written to him about Jesus' life and teachings from his birth until he ascended into heaven. But keep in mind that what Luke tells us here is that he had testified to the truth of Jesus' ascension. Why is that important? Because if you were reading this or you were hearing the gospel for the first time, your logical response would be, well, where is Jesus now? You say he died. You say he rose again. Well, where is he? Is he living in a cave somewhere? Can we go visit him? You say you saw him. Why can't I see him? These are logical questions, right? So what Luke makes clear is, well, the reason you don't see him is because he's ascended into heaven. He records that. In fact, if you go to the end of the the Gospel of Luke, he ends his book with the ascension. And I'll read it for you in Luke 24, verse 50. 
Luke writes, when he had led them out, that is his disciples, his apostles, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, which is east of Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. That's how Luke ends the book so that we can pick it up in the book of Acts. Now, another thing, as we look more into this introduction, apparently, according to verse 2, we read there in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 2, that he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And you might be thinking, well, what instructions did he give? Now, this is the, this is, these are the instructions that he gave, notice, after he had died and been raised to life, before he ascended into heaven. And you know, Luke also gives us a summary of what those instructions are. Why are those instructions important? These are the very last things that Jesus said to these men before he ascended into heaven. And in fact, if we go back to, again, the last chapter of Luke and look at just verses 50 through 53, I'm sorry, not 50 through 53, 45 through 49, you've already read those verses, 45 through 49, we learn this, it says, then he opened their minds. Do you have an open mind? I hope so. A lot of people have some closed minds today, right? Well, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer. And it says, rise from the dead on the third day. Now, that had already taken place at that point. But he goes on in verse 7 to say, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in this name to all nations be given at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The very last instruction that he gave his disciples was essentially saying this. He'd chosen them. He'd said, look, it has been appointed. It was written that I should suffer. I've suffered. That I should be raised to life. I've been raised to life and resurrected. And then he goes on to say, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that becomes the, the entire history. We start in Jerusalem and the entire book of Acts is about preaching the gospel throughout the earth. Now that's important because in today's church, and I say today's church over the last several decades, it has become unpopular and socially, how can I say, uncomfortable to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name. Many churches have gotten away from even using words like sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Because if you tell someone you're, they're a sinner, you're offending them. Yeah, brother, that's, that's your truth. I have my own truth. And yet, the church is charged with this truth, that Jesus died, rose again, and we are preaching a message of repentance, which means change. Change. Choosing to turn your back on the world and on sin and ask God for forgiveness. You can't be forgiven unless you confess your sins and repent. And you can't repent of sins that you don't even know about unless the word of God is preached with truth and sin identified in love. With the intention of providing a path to forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
You see, you get away. We haven't even gotten into. We're still at the end of Luke, right? We haven't even gotten into Acts. And, and we understand this. That was the mission. We get away from the mission and we wonder why the culture is in a terrible state. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, in his name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He says, you're my witnesses. You're the ones that are going to do this. And he says he's going to send you or send them and he sent us what my father has promised. And of course, that is the person of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about over the next few weeks. That's the key. The word of God, the gospel message, the power of the Holy Spirit. You take out the power of the Holy Spirit or the word of God and the gospel and you no longer have Jesus's instructions. You're following your own instructions. Have you ever deviated from a recipe to disastrous consequences? Ah, baking powder, baking soda, who cares? Same thing. Yes, I think what's happened in our world is we've decided that certain things just aren't important anymore. Ah, that was then. This is now. You can't, pastor, you can't be preaching sin. You can't tell people there's two genders. You you, you can't say those things anymore. You're becoming irrelevant. And people aren't going to go to a church where where you preach the truth like that. They're going to think you're unloving. Oh, well. I check out Jesus' instructions. And while we are, of course, preaching the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're also preaching the repentance of sins and forgiveness of sins. And we are the witnesses. We are the ones that we've been called. By the way, the word for witness in the Greek is martyr, by the way. Because that's how many witnesses ended up, giving their lives for the truth. We're complaining about the persecution instead of preaching the gospel. The goal isn't to eliminate persecution. The goal is to preach the gospel. Are you with me? It'd be nice if there were no persecution. But but don't get too comfortable the way things are going. But what's interesting is in the book of Acts, there was so much persecution, yet the power of the gospel was never more powerful than then. I wonder, I wonder, I, I don't know, I wonder. As things become more difficult for us as Christians, will the message become more life-changing and more powerful? I think so. Because it'll be preached in truth. And at the cost of those that preach it, you really got to believe a message as a witness if you're willing to give your life for it. Well, I love what he says here. I love what Jesus' instructions were. Stay in the city. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this work. And today we see in the church many people doing things on their own power. The power goes out and they can't do anything. And you know something? The power of the Holy Spirit is the only power the church needs. As we start to rely, or have started to rely on other things other than the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God, the church has become a dismal failure in reaching the world for Christ. Why is that? They weren't Jesus' instructions. So I wanted to go back to that section and remind you of what Jesus' instructions were because notice what Luke said here. He said, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... We're going to see that the reason the early church was powerful is because they followed Jesus' instructions. It says, after suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Let's, let's just talk about those things before we receive communion. So he had uh, 
testified to the truth of the ascension, where Jesus was at that time, and still is, at the right hand of God the Father. He had included Jesus' instructions through the Holy Spirit. And remember that at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, after he rose from the dead, he did a few things. He commissioned his apostles for ministry. He assured them that he had given them all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? He commissioned them to go and make disciples of all nations. He told them supernatural signs would accompany those who believe. You know what's amazing? Many churches say, well, the reason that the supernatural signs don't happen today is because we don't need them anymore. We have the word of God. Really? I think the reason the supernatural signs don't happen is we're not following Jesus' instructions in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a more likely explanation. Jesus commissioned them as messengers of the resurrection and the gospel. He commanded them to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Spirit. These were Jesus' instructions recorded for us in the Gospels. And Luke refers to them here in the beginning of Acts. You see, we learn in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1 that he had testified to the truth of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. That is the Gospel message. Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. And the response to that Gospel message is, is repentance and forgiveness of sins. But if you take out one of those essential components, suggesting that Jesus didn't suffer, or that he didn't die, or that he wasn't raised to life, again, you've deviated from the instructions. You're not even preaching the gospel. And then if you you, you just present that message and then don't say to people, well, now you need to respond to that message through repentance so you can receive forgiveness of sins, then... You may have preached the truth, but you haven't preached the gospel. You haven't given them the good news that they can be saved. There are some that are content to tell you you're a sinner and you're going to hell. That's not the good news. That's the bad news that comes before the good news. But the good news is repentance and forgiveness of sins through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus proved, I want to point this out, proved to the apostles that he was alive and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That's what we're told here by Luke in the book of Acts. How did he do that? He appeared to his apostles over a period of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. You know what I find interesting? He was victorious over his 40-day temptation by Satan. And Luke mentioned that in Luke chapter 4. For 40 days, he withstood the temptation of his flesh as a man, though he's God, and the temptation of Satan. And now he witnessed to his disciples for 40 days of his greater victory over Satan through the cross of Jesus Christ. Those 40 days were essential for his apostles and disciples to know the truth that he was and is alive. Amen? We'll be celebrating that truth in just a few weeks. Now Luke believed, I want to point this out as we close, Luke believed by faith in the truth. See, when Peter helped Mark write his gospel, or Matthew or John wrote their gospels, they wrote as eyewitnesses of what had taken place. Luke was an investigative reporter. He wrote having recorded the testimony of eyewitnesses. Why is that significant? Because he believed by faith in the truth. The convincing proofs were not delivered directly to him, but indirectly through others. But those convincing proofs were so convincing that the people who received them were able to communicate them to others that hadn't received them. Are you with me? 
You see, that's the truth here. These convincing proofs were so convincing, convincing proofs of the resurrection, that a man like Luke believed by faith in the truth, not having seen the risen Christ. He believed because of the preaching of the gospel through the power of the Spirit. You see, you might be thinking, well, if Jesus appeared to me, I'd believe. That's not how this thing works. You believe and Jesus appears to you. It's by faith. And this is the way it it is. And and the first century was the beginning of men that had walked with him, who saw him alive and were so convinced that he was alive that they preached that truth and others believed it. That's pretty convincing. How convinced are you? Because if you're convinced, others might actually be convinced. Convinced is like from the same root word, convicted. So like, are you convicted about the truth? Are you convinced of the truth? Do you know that, it, know that you know that you know that it's true? Because when you do, others receive that and believe it because the power of the gospel is preached as the Spirit gets hold of you by faith. By faith. You can't preach the gospel without faith. Is it fair to say that? You don't have faith, you can't preach the gospel. Oh, but Pastor Tim, it's the truth. It's not enough. What, the truth is not enough? No. The truth has to be presented by faith in the power of the Spirit of God. And maybe that's why others don't believe it. Maybe. I wonder. He himself never witnessed the risen Christ, but he believed because of the preaching of the gospel by those who had You know, Luke believed God's word concerning the kingdom of God. He himself never even heard Jesus teach. But he believed because of the teaching of his word. So as the gospel is preached, as the word of God is taught by the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith, others will actually believe it. Oh, that's not enough, Pastor Tim. You've you got to provide more than... No, no you, no, you don't. The recipe, the original recipe, the instructions are very clear. You preach the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that truth is the gospel truth. And you give people an opportunity to respond to the truth through repentance and receiving forgiveness of sins. Don't deviate from the original recipe. I've been to restaurants where they've changed the recipe... Have you ever done that? I won't mention the restaurant. We went to a restaurant. I ordered my food and it didn't taste the same. New cook? No, we changed the recipe. We changed our menu. I won't be back. (laughs) You see, I don't want to change the recipe. Oh, Pastor Tim, this is 2021. You can't use the recipe from the first century. It doesn't work. Really? Really? I would venture a guess that whatever recipe many churches and the church as a whole in this country is using isn't working. Clearly, it's not working. Clearly. So what's the problem? We need a new recipe? No. We need to go back to the original instructions of Jesus. We've read them today. Luke has recorded them. That's our history. That's who we are as a church I promise you, brothers and sisters, I know this to be true. I'm convinced of it. I'm convicted of it. That if we get back to the gospel, the word of God, and just the gospel and the word of God, no nonsense, and we preach it by faith, being convinced of it ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we preach it faithfully 
without compromise. In a dark and desperate world, we may just be able to reach this culture for Jesus Christ. We have been called to be witnesses. This whole book is about witnesses. So, as I look at this, I come to the conclusion that what we're being told, before we even begin the major part of this book, is that those that follow Jesus are called to share the truth of the gospel and the kingdom of God as witnesses. Brothers and sisters, you can't witness to something you haven't seen. You can't witness to something you haven't heard. You can't witness to something you haven't experienced. The very first thing is, we have to be right with God. Communion is a wonderful opportunity to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. To ask those, with those truths of the gospel message, Jesus' death and resurrection, to ask Christ to fill our hearts with not just the truth, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can avoid persecution, so we can have a happy life, so our stock investment portfolio will do well? No. That if necessary, we'll give up all of those things if it means reaching the, gospel, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's surrendering our hearts and our lives to Christ and saying, Father, use me. I want to be a witness of the truth. Not a popular thing today. They might even call us martyrs. But being a witness to the truth means that you give your life to Jesus Christ. You know your call. You know the instructions Jesus gave you. And regardless of the consequences, you're faithful to preach the truth. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And in this introduction, we've just scratched the surface of what we're going to be dealing with. But we now know that you really, truly desire to just ground us in the foundation of the truth. As we look at our history, as we recognize why we exist, may we be true to the call. May we be true to all that the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, wants to do in and through our hearts and our lives. And Lord, may we be witnesses to the ends of the earth of this truth as you call us. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.